is Policy Talks. I'm Shada, and we are here with Kelsey Norman. Um, so Kelsey is a doctoral candidate in the Department of Political Science at the University of California, Irvine, where she researches host state responses to migration refugees in the Middle East and North Africa. And um, during the 2017 to 2018 academic year, she will be a postdoctoral post fellow at the, oh my goodness, I don't know how to pronounce that, C Chuang Kang Center for International Security and Diplomacy at the Joseph Corbel School of International Studies at the University of Denver. I totally butchered that, <laughs> <It's okay>. but... <laughs> no problem. Um, this means that I'm like close to finishing my PhD. <laughs> okay, okay, very cool. Um, so yeah, so we just have a few questions, uh, especially about your doctoral thesis, which is entitled Degrees of Ambivalence, Variation in New Host State Migrant Engagement Strategies Egypt, Morocco, and Turkey. Uh, so, um, I guess just starting off uh, in a more general direction, um, your doctoral thesis kind of uh, as has like the main question of how do countries strategically make choices to benefit themselves um, when it comes to refugee acceptance and responsibility. So, what were your findings on this? So uh, my, country, uh, my, my dissertation looks at these three countries, Egypt, Morocco, and Turkey, which um, have very different migrant and refugee hosting situations. But I guess one commonality is that uh, basically since the end of the Cold War, we're seeing increasing uh, numbers of, of migrants and refugees that are kind of stuck in these countries. So my, my dissertation asks, how do, how do these countries respond? Or what kind of policy options do they even have for responding? And a lot of times in the literature that mostly looks at countries in Europe and countries in North America and maybe Australia, um, we see that countries sort of have two, more or less two responses. You know, they can kind of exclude migrants and refugees or they can bring them into the national system. Um, so what I'm arguing is that there's also this third option of them kind of, it seems like they're not really doing anything. But in reality, I argue that they are doing things and that they're allowing international organizations to step in and kind of do things for them in some cases too. And the reasons why they have these different responses are, are based on these more strategic uh, ways that, that uh, states view migrants and refugees and their presence in, in, these, in these host countries. Okay, so that would be what the ambivalence would be. Right, the sort of uh, okay. seemingly doing nothing, <laughs> okay. but, but actually it's, you know, it's strategically stepping back so that these international organizations step in and intervene and do things on their behalf. And so is that kind of overtaking by international organizations of migration management, specifically refugee management for a country, is that kind of optimal in certain cases or uh, or would you say, I, I guess, uh, would a partnership be better? Or mm -hmm. um, I think it depends on whose point of view we're talking about, probably. So I think, um, I mean, the, because of the system that's in place, a lot of migrants and refugees have come to see the international organizations like the UNHCR or IOM as being more responsible for them than the host state government. Mm -hmm. um, this is changing in like the example of, of Turkey and, uh, and in Morocco, where uh, since 2013, they've, they've chosen to have a much more proactive response and they're gonna be much more involved in the everyday sort of provision of services or you know, offering residency or these sort of basic things for migrants and refugees. Um, so I, I don't know if migrants and refugees necessarily see that as, as better than, <laughs> than when the international organizations were responsible for them, but I know the international organizations see that as better. They think host states should be more involved in the provision of these types of things um, for migrants and refugees. They would prefer that, uh, that, they, that they actually take on more responsibility. Um, but in a lot of situations, that's difficult. We talk about things like host state capacity, and these are, you know, these are 
to, to varying degrees developing host states, so they might not have what they would deem the capacity to do that. Um, but I also look in my dissertation research at how the term capacity kind of gets thrown around a lot, and sometimes it has sort of strategic uses as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not always just a matter of capacity, sometimes it's about you know, making the decision that we are going to a lot more resources um, for the purposes of engaging with these migrants and refugees, and that there might be strategic reasons behind that. And do you think that's, can that become dangerous if a state that doesn't have necessarily the capacity to deal with this mm -hmm. abundance of refugees for political reasons mm -hmm. decides to take them in? Yeah, I think, um, I think it, it can be. In Turkey, for example, um, a lot of inter international organizations, UN agencies, but also sort of um, bigger IOs like um, MSF or uh, other, like Caritas, like these, these international organizations that are operating there. Um, some of them had criti criticisms of the Turkish government because initially when Syrians began arriving in, in Turkey in 2012 and 2013, the Turkish government did not want international organizations to do much in terms of providing services. They wanted to show that they were very capable of handling this response. And, they, and I mean, to, to be fair, they, they did do a lot. They, they built these massive camps that got a lot of praise um, from international organizations in the south of the country. Um, they were allotting like mass resources for dealing with this. But I think it could be argued that there is a strategic reason politically, uh, sorry, domestically especially, for, for doing that. So it kind of won the, the ruling party, the AKP, uh, favor, and they wanted to demonstrate that they were supporting these refugees who were fleeing the Assad government. So it was about communicating that message. Um, so again, I think there's, there's always sort of strategic reasons why states choose to allow resources or not for the purposes of, of uh, handling migrants or refugees. And they weren't necessarily um, I mean, one of the criticisms from the, from the uh, UN was that they weren't doing enough to, they were registering all the Syrians, but they weren't actually collecting a lot of information about them. So the UN, when it collects information, you know, wants to know people's age, it wants to know who's the most vulnerable. And if you're not doing those kind of assessments, then you don't know where to provide your services or where to concentrate service provision so that you can help the most vulnerable uh, refugees. And, and they were saying the Turkish government wasn't doing a great job of that. So. I have a, I'm wondering just in, uh, just in terms of kind of the actors in the MENA region, um, specifically looking at the Gulf states. Mm. Uh, they've been criticized um, for their lack of engagement, even though they are some of the top donors to right. refugee aid. And just building on what your research has shown, how the fact that um, it's not always just a fact of capacity, it's also in the interests of strategy and this kind of thing. Do you think that there should be a larger role uh, for the Gulf states to take refugees in as so many news reports have cited? Mm. Yeah, I, I, I agree, I've seen this criticism a lot. Um, I mean, I think it's hard to criticize the Gulf states. We'd also need to criticize like the US right now for effectively halting their refugee admissions, right? And other countries who arguably could do a lot more than they're doing. Um, so the Gulf states maybe could be doing more in terms of actually taking people in, but they don't have the they don't have the infrastructure in terms of the asylum and international protection uh, system set up to yeah. necessarily do that. So it's not something that can be immediately done. It would be something that would take place over over time, and there would have to be capacity building just in terms of knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think they have been doing a lot in terms of financial um, allocations, uh, but I, I I think it's hard to to to, um, to relay that criticism against them without doing it against a lot of other international actors or, or a lot of other uh, Western states at the moment, especially. There's this backlash against uh, actual refugee admissions as opposed to just donating money. 
Um, and the other thing is, from what I understand, there's actually a lot of Syrians in the Gulf states. They're just not registered as refugees. So there were a lot of Syrians before the war that, that were living there and, and that are still there now. I think I read like 500,000 in, in Saudi alone. Mm -hmm. um, so there actually are a lot of Syrians there, but they're not registered as refugees and it's right. a little bit more complicated. Um, I mean, some of the, I guess in Lebanon, there were a lot of Syrians that were there as migrant workers before the war. Uh, and now, of course, there's others that have come because of the war, I mean, the vast number of people that have come before the war. So it's, you know, this, this uh, designation as a refugee versus a migrant is a little bit more complicated than just, you know, accepting refugee admissions, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it seems to really matter based on whether they're parties to the 1951 Convention on Refugee Protection or not, and kind of, it's not so black and white, I, I guess. In terms of um, yeah. the designation between yeah. migrant and refugee, right, you're right. Yeah, like in, in Turkey, um, technically, these uh, Syrians are not, uh, and other groups all are not refugees unless unless they're coming from Europe. So mm -hmm. that's a very very small group of um, of people that are actually in Turkey that are full refugees. Everyone else is considered uh, they have temporary protection or they have conditional status or a number of other designations. Oh, it looks like that's all the time that we have. Okay. But this has been a very interesting conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me.